0: This is a download from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. I'm John Kroll, news impact editor of The Plain Dealer. Previously in Joanna Facing Forward, Joanna Orozco lost both her parents within a few days of each other. As she struggled to deal with their deaths, she met a boy, Juan Ruiz. The music in this podcast is Joanna's Heartbeat, composed and performed by John Phobes for The Plain Dealer. To hear more of his compositions, go to Phobes.net, F O B E S.net. Joanna Facing Forward by Plain Dealer reporter Rachel DeSell. Chapter 2. A Tender Bond Turns Abusive Joanna Orozco and Juan Ruiz had known each other since second grade when they attended Walton Elementary School together. They stood next to each other in a school picture and waved in passing, but they were never close before high school. For months after a chance meeting in the summer of 2004, they talked on the phone on and off. At first, they chatted, laughing about memories from their grade school years. But the conversations eventually deepened. Both high school students shared hurtful pasts. Her parents were dead and his were divorced. His parents' split had upset Juan. His grades dropped and he started getting into fights at school. His mother took him to see a counselor and he was later prescribed pills to help his moods. Joanna and Juan were each looking for a fresh start. He asked her to a movie. It was a Samuel L. Jackson flick called Coach Carter. But first, Juan had to pass the grandparent test. Wuzbilly and Juanita Orozco were protective of their two parentless grandchildren. They had strict curfews and rules for Joanna and her younger brother, Kevin. The couple came to the United States from Guatemala in 1985 to escape poverty and growing violence. Juanita, a sturdy woman who has both a dagger glare and a deep belly laugh, walked most of the way to Mexico alongside highways. Her husband, Wozbeli, a short man with caring eyes, joined a few months later with their children, Alberto, Hilda, and Miriam. They hid in barns along the way, ducking immigration officials as they were guided from Mexico to the United States. They eventually all gained legal status, but their ties to Guatemalan tradition and their hometown remained solid. For decades, Juanita has collected gently-worn clothes and toys from her grandkids and neighbors to ship home in oversized moving boxes. Wasbeli, who didn't own a pair of shoes until he was a teen remembers soaking corn kernels in liquor as a boy and feeding them to a farmer's chickens so they wouldn't squawk when he stole them to feed his family. Here he worked tirelessly in a suburban factory that makes air conditioner parts to provide for his family. To gain the grandparents' respect, Juan came to them properly and asked permission to date Joanna. He met with them in their sparse living room on January thirtieth, two 2005. Juan, who was a year younger than Joanna, was jittery but neatly groomed with a fresh haircut and shave. Juan knew to greet Wasbelie with a firm handshake and Juanita with a kiss on the cheek. The Orozco's had reservations about Juan. His family situation was broken and he admitted to them that he had done drugs. But meeting Joanna had given him a purpose, he said. He was working two jobs at a bakery and in construction. He occasionally cleaned bank offices. Juan talked about wanting to go into the military. Joanna's grandparents felt he was sincere and gave permission for the two to date. Wasbeli handed Juan a stone and repeated an adage in Spanish, Never pass through where there is a rock because you're going to fall. Pick the clean road, not the dirty one. (music) That night, Joanna and Juan shared their first kiss. Joanna liked the way Juan treated her. He was caring and trusting. He bought her chocolate, perfumes, and a cuddly care bear. They strolled hand-in-hand up Joanna's street, a mixture of well-kept and deteriorating homes. They often stopped at the corner store for chips and pop. Once they began dating, the teens quickly became inseparable. When they weren't together, they were on the phone. Juan's mother, Candida, even disconnected her phones at night so they wouldn't stay up late chatting. Both Candida and Joanna's grandparents worried the love-struck teens were moving too fast they encouraged them to be patient but joanna and juan wouldn't listen joanna's journal was covered in hearts flowers and girlish flourishes all symbols of young love inside the hardcover book she neatly jotted a favorite quote you can't marry someone you can live with you marry someone you can't live without joanna pushed juan to do better in school He transferred from John Marshall High School, where he had gotten into trouble, to Lincoln West, where Joanna was heading into her junior year. They acted in plays together, including A Christmas Carol, where she played Bob Cratchit's daughter and he played the ghost of Jacob Marley. As the couple got closer over the next year, Juan began to grow demanding. He needed to see Joanna every day. Juan accused her of flirting with other boys. Joanna ignored rumors that he was cheating. The two often fought, broke up, and were back together the next day. By spring, the line between love and obsession had worn thin. On March thirtieth, two 2006, Joanna put her hurt about Juan in her journal. "'My heart is really sad right now. Today Juan had pushed me and called me a bitch.' i don't understand why he turned out this way i really do love him joanna needed the relationship to work she couldn't bear losing another person that she loved but pushing soon turned to arm twisting then kicking once so hard it left a permanent mark on joanna's leg as she chronicled her injuries in her journal joanna tried to grasp what had changed The perfect loops and curls of handwriting that Joanna's father had taken pride in became sloppy and desperate-looking. Joanna would vow not to call Juan, only to break down. He would ignore her attempts. I hate him, I hate him, she scrawled in inch-high letters in late June of last year. Joanna hoped Juan would change like her father had. Her aunt Hilda had doubts. Juan didn't look her directly in the eye. She noticed he was polite and mannerly in front of Joanna's grandparents, but cussed and carried himself with a swagger when they weren't looking. Once, when she and Joanna went to the mall, Juan called Joanna's electric pink cell phone dozens of times. "'Where are you?' he demanded to know." At the mall with my aunt, Joanna said, we're leaving. Minutes later, he called again. Where are you now? On our way home. You should be at Snow Road already. Hilda told Joanna to turn the phone off or she was going to toss it out the window. He doesn't own you, she told Joanna. But Joanna's favorite aunt knew how hard it was to leave. She had stayed in a combative marriage for years, struggling with the same feelings. Hilda knew how easy it was to come up with reasons to stay, how hard it was to walk out the door. Her niece had to come to the decision to leave on her own. By the late fall of 2006, Joanna had had enough. On November 27th, the day before Joanna's 18th birthday, Juan was suspended from school for having a loaded gun in his backpack. Juan voluntarily handed the 38 caliber revolver to a school security officer during a metal detector sweep. He told the guards the gun was for protection. Juan was expelled from school, though principals and students, including Joanna, signed petitions asking for Juan to be allowed to finish his senior year. Charges against Juan in juvenile court were dismissed after teachers wrote letters describing him as intelligent, charismatic, and creative. But with Joanna, his chances had waned. She told him she was sorry, but unless he changed, their relationship was over. Joanna purged their shared MySpace page of Juan's pictures and name. The page was recreated to represent an independent Joanna, a bubbly and single woman who put family first. A photo of her parents, Carmen and Alberto, became a focal point, Juan was referred to vaguely as someone Joanna loved but wasn't with. A month later, in January of 2007, Joanna gave him one last chance. Her friends begged her not to. They saw how carefree Joanna was without him. That week, Juan was more obsessive than ever, trying to dictate her every move. She called Juan and cut the relationship off for good. Joanna told her friends at Cosmetology School, where she attended night classes, that she was relieved to be done with Juan. They made plans to go out and dance to celebrate. I'm single, Joanna cheered. Joanna was moving on. But Juan would not allow it. A few minutes after midnight, on February 16th, he came to her bedroom window. Joanna raised it to ask what he wanted. Juan told her to stop talking so loud. He didn't want to get picked up for curfew. He climbed into her room. Shut the fuck up, he said, covering her mouth. He pulled two knives from his coat. He held one to his throat. Give me another chance, he demanded. Please return tomorrow for Joanna, Facing Forward, Chapter 3, There's Nowhere to Hide. And find out more about the Johanna Arasco story, including an archive of Plain Dealer stories, at cleveland.com/johanna.